0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. There isn't enough time in the day to do all the things that we're supposed to be doing.
1: Maybe my- we're putting too many things in our schedule.
0: Yeah, but maybe it's just that there's just too many things going on and my brain is on overload. Yeah. And if I turn off social media for like four hours to go for a bike ride or a hike or just watch a series on Apple TV or something like that, I come back and I got 27 emails and 16 direct messages and... I don't know what to do with myself because they're all good. Not all of them. I mean, some, (laughs) some are spam, but, but there's so many wise fellow travelers out there. Yes. And are sending us more and more stuff. Yes. And if it could fill the day completely the days where I could just spend my entire day on social media, I will respond to a bunch of direct messages on Instagram and then I'll go to the bathroom and I'll come Mm -hmm. back and I'll open up Instagram. I got six more messages.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that that our um, community that we're building and are going to be announcing soon um, will be a good way to funnel all of those people to one place so that we can um, streamline a little bit and still have some balance in our life, which I think is really important.
0: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thought because there are a lot of people that write books that actually didn't write books. They they hire ghost writers to write their books for them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I could ever do that. I don't think I could ever have somebody answering my mail for me. Right. Uh, I'm too OCD.
1: That's not what I suggested, but yes, I hear you.
0: <laughs> well, what difference does it make if it's all in one place? If it just so much stuff i'm grateful by the way i'm grateful that people trust me and trust you
1: mm-hmm. but they should yeah <laughs> the world according to you well,
0: how's your eye
1: how are you feeling are you feeling well the
0: eyes stable it's good i just have great to, i just have to wait now a couple great. Of months
1: and you went to teach right
0: oh god there's a lot that's happened since last we spoke um yeah, where, where where was I? Oh yeah, I was in Wisconsin,
1: <laughs>
0: Wisconsin. I, uh, yeah, it was very it was very nice. It was a very interesting thing. I was at the Authentic Birth Center in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. We had a a perfect number of people. We had three family practice doctors. Cool. Yes, and we had a bunch of students and a bunch of midwives that worked there, and it was, you know, I think. I got great feedback as usual, and I even had to, uh, I got called into a room to do something uh, which I'm not supposed to be doing when I'm in a state where I'm not supposed to be doing stuff, but um, there seemed to be a little bit of that going on this week, and that's all I'll say about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then then I came back, and then um, I had been talking to a set of twins. You know about this because we're recording on a Friday instead of a Wednesday because uh, I got to bear witness, which was exactly what I did. I didn't have to do anything. I got to bear witness to a beautiful uh, second pregnancy die, mono die, mono die, mono die. die. I'll repeat that for those trolls out there. Uh, Twin pregnancy at 39 weeks in a day or so, um, who delivered her babies. 11 minutes apart in the water, but unassisted. Great. Right. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I did not like the waiting, but I really liked the birth.
1: (laughs) I think That's pretty much the case for most birth workers. The waiting is the hardest part, but um, we love a great story
0: to tell. And I'm going to, after the dust settles, maybe in a few months, I will have them on along with their midwife, so that you you can uh, hear their story, which I think is uh, is a really good story to tell. They had to come all the way from another state to relocate and rent an Airbnb and do that thing that people do um, because they have no choices where they are. And yeah. the things that were recommended to them will blow your mind. Well, they won't, but you know uh, how fearful that their doctors were. Yeah. So, yeah, so I hadn't uh, really been to a birth since January. So this was kind
1: of... I know, I know. It's, it feels good to be in the birth room, right? In the birth oh, land.
0: Huge oxytocin rush
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, just beautiful. And the family was so sweet. Um, they're a Christian family. And just before I was leaving that night, they all asked if they could pray for my eye yeah circle and they put hands on and they pray for my eye to uh get better so that's gonna that's going to only be determined when i get the oil out of there but right now it's pretty it's just stable so that's good
1: that is good yeah well i'm i'm uh i am also waiting on a baby of course, um, so Mama is uh, due any minute and is um, multip, showing some signs. So I'm also excited to be back in birth land because I haven't attended a birth since May. So,
0: well, the birth world is better off that you're back in it. So that's really you
1: great. too, <laughs> you too, semi retired <laughs> no ideas people. With- <laughs>
0: Any ideas? Uh, <laughs> this was a unique situation. He's
1: already too busy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, people say, "Well, why don't you, you know, do it in, you know, do it in your town or something like that?" I, 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 I don't want to be back on call. It's yeah. Just, I can't I can't do it.
1: All That's right, okay. You did it for a long time.
0: We have a guest today.
1: Yeah.
0: When I talk, tell her we're going to talk a little bit about postpartum mental health. We'll get to that in a second. I've got a few. You know, like usual, I got some business to go over with you first. So, mm-hmm. uh, but our guest is um, Cynthia Overgaard from the Down to Birth podcast.
1: Great. Welcome We're going to talk
0: about mental health and she's a pistol and I really love talking to her.
2: <laughs>
0: um, I got, I got a little piece of uh, uh, wisdom from one of our um, fellow travelers. This is Hannah and she says, story time. I had to visit an OBGYN once in my pregnancy for some blood sugar stuff. And I was shocked at Hull, they discouraged me trying any herbs because they are not FDA tested. But the amount of quote informational unquote posters I saw in that clinic, barely clear, clearly saying, quote, the COVID vaccine is safe and recommended in pregnancy. If you get COVID in pregnancy, you and your baby are more likely to die, unquote. It was so clearly trying to fear monger women into choosing this new vaccine, but they discouraged the use of certain teas and herbs.
1: It is a little weird. I've had that before with uh, OBs where I've, their um, clients are like, I don't know about red raspberry leaf. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> it's so benign, right? Here, get,
0: the, get this Tdap vaccine.
1: Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> take this prescription. Yeah, take take the, take this antibiotic. Take this, take that. Right. Um. So uh, we have... A couple things here i have um the american college of physicians which is not the, to be confused with the american college of obstetrics and gynecology <laughs> except in their tyranny and nihilism um, uh peter mccullough if people don't listening don't know who peter mccullough is he's a cardiologist he's come out very strongly against the vaccines and he's expert on myocarditis and you should if you don't know about him you should look him up and start to follow him on substack anyway he wrote an article about the American College of Physicians extends therapeutic nihilism into the fourth year of the pandemic. And he says practicing physicians have lost trust in the associations and public health agencies that compromise the orthodoxy. No question, no shit about that. The American College of Physicians represents internists and medical specialists. Their journal, the Annals of Internal Medicine, by the way, is one of the most was was one of the most reputable journals around, was trusted for years. The pandemic has changed all that forever. The American College of Physicians and the Annals have not published or reprinted a single community of care COVID-19 protocol or paper on how to treat SARS-CoV-2 infection or manage the mRNA vaccine injury syndromes. So in three years, they've never printed a paper on alternatives for prevention, treatment, and detoxification not once um this person summer at all published a a review that omitted thousands of studies and randomized trials of nasal sprays gargles oral genetic medications and multi-drug protocols like the flccc protocol incredulously out of the massive literature on early treatment for covid they selected eight papers only and they settled on two oral therapies that could be used both products of the government investment through operation warp speed with Pfizer and merck shocking
1: mm-hmm.
0: they discourage the use of ivermectin and dozens of other drugs used today in standard of care um and they and then he says how about my mccullough protocol for treatment for covid as the most widely used approach in the world not a word so it's just one of those things that he's concluded the American College of Physicians among many medical organizations is captured by Biopharmaceutical Complex, who is hell-bent on vaccine-only strategy for this and future pandemics. I don't know, because I know that it seems like every week I'm talking a little bit about this sort of thing, and and it's because all week long, I get letters from people telling me stories. And these organizations like ACOG and like, the American College of Physicians, have completely sold out their ethics, uh, their soul. And it baffles me to this day still how doctors can continue to support what they're saying and gaslight not only their patients, but gaslight themselves as well.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about this, I'm going to say for years now, because it has been years, Um, that my distrust in the, um, obstetric profession, um, goes way back before COVID. Um, because there are many things that have been disproven or have not been proven to, uh, be in the best interest of mothers and babies, and yet they're still being utilized. So,
0: yeah, and then one thing since I brought up ACOG, one thing of this is a perfect example of of how I could never go back into this world and how they think in a way that I don't think any of our listeners actually can understand this thinking. Because it's like the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and never getting anywhere and, and having the same result. So uh, I got a letter in the I got my emails from ACOG, and this one says ACOG is pleased to report today that Senate bill. 2415, the Bipartisan Preventing Maternal Deaths Reauthorization Act, or what I would call the Why We Are All Doomed Act, unanimously advanced out of the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee. This bill will ensure continued support for the critically important work of state maternal mortality review committees, which are vital to our ability to address the rising rates of maternal mortality in the United States. These committees will help advance our understanding of why and how maternal deaths occur so that they can be prevented. As the United States maternal mortality rate continues to rise, Congress must ensure its continued support for the essential work of state maternal mortality review committees. Okay, do you understand why I'm like, what we need is more committees, that will solve the problem. Right. Don't have enough committees. maternal mortality rate is so high in the medical model? Yet midwives have figured it out for generations. Yep, right. And
1: and the World Health Organization says that midwives are the the way that we can solve the maternity crisis. But here we are.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that ACOG and and usually goes along with the World Health Organization, but not on that one because it's yep. against their own interests. But this idea that this is this is what. Administrative si- states do this. is what big companies do. This, I've talked about this, but you know, when I used to be at Cedar Sinai, and how you know something that you and I would just do on an instant takes them eight months to do because everything has to go through committees, right? And I don't know that committees generally ever solve anything. Uh, usually it's an individual that takes charge in the committee that gets things pushed through and solved because otherwise it's just as easy. they meet once a month or whatever to table it till the next month. And then nobody's held responsible for anything. And this is a, this is a huge problem with the administrative state. All right. All right. I got that off my head. I just, I'm so overloaded with stuff because what I should do on days where we podcast is I shouldn't even read my uh, social media stuff.
1: Okay. That's a bike ride day. (laughs) Remind me. Remind you?
0: (laughs) Remind me to not do stuff?
1: Okay. You don't listen to me, but I'll remind you.
0: (laughs) What I think I'll do, I think maybe I'll set up a committee. Okay.
1: (laughs) I have a bunch of people that will support you in taking a bike ride and not being on social media. How's that? Yeah.
0: Okay. So this is a big issue. So I'm going to bring Cynthia on. Great. Postpartum mental health is something that I don't think that we've done a podcast on, at least not.
1: Specifically.
0: Specifically. Mm-hmm. A lot with Kimberly Ann Johnson about, you know, maternal mindset and, the, and the, all the systems that are attacking um, the normalcy of birth in, the, in that world. But we never really got yeah. into the So I'm going to bring Cynthia on. Great. And uh I'll just introduce her while she gets settle there. Cynthia Overgard is the producer of the Down to Birth Show, a weekly podcast she co-hosts with CNM, Trisha Ludwig. Cynthia is a published writer in the field of maternal health and has taught hypnobirthing to more than 2,000 couples in the past 16 years. Cynthia is trained in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, and it's that that we're going to like focus on today, through Postpartum Support International, and has run a weekly postpartum support group since 2015. I didn't know that, Cynthia. She has an undergraduate degree in sociology and an MBA in finance. Cynthia continues to teach hypnobirthing classes to couples globally and be con- can be contacted at hypnobirthingct.com or at the Down to Birth show on Instagram. Cynthia Overgaard, welcome back.
2: Thank Birthing. you. It's so good to see you both. How are you, Bliss? Hello,
1: hello. I'm uh, hanging in there, as okay. they like to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm delighted to be with you guys. I'm I'm sure that it's going to be a titillating conversation and I'm so glad that, um, Dr. Stu brought you on.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I think it's an yeah. important topic.
1: Very much so. And the yeah. thing
0: is, the thing is, Cynthia, we could talk about er- anything and everything because I listen <laughs> to your podcast and I'm just, you know, like I'm just nodding along and going, dang, I'm right. You know, I'm because it, I love that you just have this East coast accent, but you just get right into the, right into the heart of the man.
2: I have never been told I have an accent in my life. That's fascinating. Oh,
0: you don't
2: hear it? No, I was raised by a speech pathologist too. So I'm sure my mother is going to wonder where she went wrong. If I have an accent, I've got to, we've got to figure out where that's happening in my language, but. I, I must sound like I'm from the Northeast for sure. And I know that, um, I know that we can identify each other from where we live in this country by many factors, but yeah, thank you, Stu. I appreciate your comment. I think we're all very similar and um, similarly bold and, you know, invested in what's going on in this field. So. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I have a couple things that I'd like to just read um, with you here to sort of start the, the conversation off. And then I really want you to take it because you know, I'm not an expert in this. Mm-hmm. This probably knows a little bit, but we're none of us. Neither one of us are experts in this, so I really want to hear what you have to say because I know our listeners do. But I just want to start off with a couple things. Um, this is a, a letter from Emily, and it's about increasing complications that she's seeing. So she says, "Good morning, Dr. Stu and Bliss, and Cynthia. <laughs> I just listened to the most recent podcast about medical guidelines, and if they are really making us safer." It occurred to me within the last year, I've, no, I've known so many women with childbirth complications. One with preeclampsia resulting in an emergency C-section at 30 weeks. One with HELP syndrome resulting in an emergency C-section. One with sepsis following a C-section due to a breach baby. And one with postpartum preeclampsia, baby also had a brain bleed at birth. These aren't just acquaintances, but close friends and family. It seems that everyone I know has some sort of traumatic birth. Meanwhile, I had two very boring, in a good way, home births. They were amazing with no complications whatsoever. What is happening? The common denominator is that all these births happened under care from the hospital. My mom has pointed out that she wasn't aware of any of these conditions when she was having children, also all in the hospital. Have these complications always been around and are we just learning more about them? Are you seeing more occurrences of these complications or is it just a coincidence that most people I know giving birth recently have had them. All these women are so grateful that they were in the hospital so that they could get life-saving care right away. Now they will never consider delivering anywhere else, which is devastating to me, as I know how amazing and empowering birth can and should be. Just curious to hear your thoughts. So, Bliss, do you want to, have you heard these sorts of things?
1: <laughs> um, have I heard of complications happening? More so. Um, I would say that there are some really interesting theories um since COVID. Both both COVID infection and COVID vaccine in terms of um more complications that we're seeing with clots and um and hemorrhage and, and preeclampsia and things like that. So help syndrome falls into that category as well. But I will say that still, knock on wood, in my practice as a midwife who focuses on nutrition and the mental well being and overall lifestyle and listening to the families, I still have not had to transfer for someone out of care for these things. So I have to believe that a lot of what's happening in the hospital is that we're not focusing on preventative care. I don't know if it's because um, the visits are so short or, you know, they're so understaffed at this point. I I'm not sure. I'm not saying that these things don't ever happen in midwifery care, but I know for a fact that they happen much less frequently. Did
2: you have thought? My thoughts? Yeah. I think there's a, there, there's, I have an advantage of, of teaching clients, but not actually being at birth. So when you are at births, like Trisha has been, and both of you have been, you're in a much more intimate position, but you're also with women who are receiving very high quality care. I'm in a position of educating so many women, uh, 150 or so per year, and hearing their personal feedback on their experiences. And I'll tell you one thing I've absolutely noticed in the years, there are trends and the yes the public has a short memory we hear that all the time but there are trends and i'm in a good position to identify trends and i'll tell you 2 years ago uh i i remember the first time i said to trisha i said uh well there's a new trend happening N- women aren't so afraid or they're not hearing about having big babies anymore now everyone's hearing they've got IUGR and lo and behold you know once i started to spot that trend and i think others did it, we just are we're flooded with women being told they have IUGR when it's really low for gestational age, and certainly a lack of understanding about the faults of ultrasounds in the first place. In the past week, I'm not exaggerating. In the past week, Trisha and I have heard from three women who were told they are geriatric and the oldest of the three is 32. So I have always rejected the term geriatric. I think it's troublesome (laughs) For many I'm reasons. rejecting it now, actually. Yeah, I, I reject it wholly because even if there are, and even though there is a, a slightly increased chance of um, adverse outcomes, we know that inducing those women doesn't reduce the likelihood of those outcomes, and it isn't bettering things. But then we started hearing of 35-year-olds being called geriatric. Well, here we are. Mark my words. We're all going to start hearing about women under 35 being called geriatric. So back to your question, I've noticed over the years that they have made it easier for women to fail gestational diabetes tests, to fail preeclampsia tests. And I think that there's this cultural change happening. That's um, women are women are believing it too. So who's to say whether we're presuming based on Emily's letter, like, but who's to say whether these things have really increased. True. Or whether they're really <laughs> appropriately diagnosing them. I had a client once who uh, told me she was high risk. And when I asked why, she said, oh, well, when we did the Down syndrome screening, my baby came out like a one in 20 chance of Downs. And I said, okay, um, so we don't know if your baby has Downs. She said, well, no, then I did the conclusive test and my baby doesn't, but I'm high risk because, my- get this quote, my baby almost had Down syndrome. And I said, no, your baby has never had Down syndrome. Right. Right. So it, it, it's so hard to say who's high risk. where are they just failing more women or are they are women believing um, the rhetoric they're being told by certain doctors? We don't know. Very true. Uh, Great point.
0: Yeah, very uh, I, I see trends too, and it's really I mean part of me obviously rails against the system. Uh, it rails the system is not salvageable and the system has failed the, the women in our country in and, and actually most Western countries. Um, we see, like we talked about before, we see induction rates of a third of women. We see sections, C sections of a third of women. We see you know, in more chronic diseases and chronic illnesses in children. We see increasing what we, what we'll talk about shortly, is what seems to be increasing uh, de- depression. We study how the medical model treats pregnant women. We saw it with COVID when, when you know, we locked out their, their support system that whole thing. Um, are we seeing more preeclampsia? You know, right, Bliss is right. In our population, no, we're not. But that's probably because of the model by which we care. We're also cherry-picking clients who are probably, you know, tend to tr- trend healthier. Um, they tend to pick more interest in their own health, The home birth uh, in the home birth world. So, um, and they probably are less likely to be vaccinated. Oh, Bliss, you got to say something. I can see it.
1: Yeah, I, I just that might be true. I mean, the, the there might be a population that really is not going to care for themselves no matter what you do. But I would I would say that the majority of women who I talk to, whether they come into my care or not, are feeling like they don't know they don't have any options. Tests are done to them. They don't know why they're done. They're not given any information on how to take care of themselves better or how to prevent this. don't have any idea. And some of these things are so simple, like eat protein. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, they're just, they're they're simple, logical things that can keep us healthy. And they aren't being given the opportunity to care for themselves because of the model that they're being cared for within.
0: You know, somebody mentioned to me, um, and I wish I could give them credit for it, but they were talking about the the medical model and they were saying that when a woman is dissatisfied with her care in a group practice or big HMO and she leaves the practice, generally speaking, no one notices that she doesn't come back. Whereas in a solo practice, if a client leaves you first of all <laughs> sometimes we're heartbroken a little bit but what did, you know what did we do what did we do wrong uh, you know why are they leaving we know that we might even uh call them or text them or message them and say is there anything we can do to help get you situated someplace else or whatever. but we what will we'll know their name and in the medical model they not only do they not know their name they don't even know they're gone and that's a that's a, that's a a very um intelligent point to bring up was uh, that, that I've never really thought of it that way, but that's, that's true. Okay. So two more things that have to tie into the depression thing. And then I want to go from there. So this is from a midwife in Montana and she says, without studies to prove that our traditional cesarean causes some kind of quantifiable harm, then there's no impetus to improve from a systemic or personal perspective. What if we start to see that some of the harm we might be causing is psychological would that drive any change? And I, I wrote down no, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, mothers separated from babies, mothers experiencing anxiety, fear, loss of control as they are strapped to operating tables and have their babies cut from their bodies. Mothers and families suffering postnatal depression and post-traumatic stress disorder due to the lack of involvement in medical decisions made for them rather than with them. That is the harm. Cynthia, do you have thoughts on that?
2: Well, when we start by recognizing that birth changes us forevermore, then we have to ask ourselves, how does such a birth change that woman forevermore? We also know for a fact that a traumatic birth, whether it's a traumatic vaginal birth or a traumatic surgical birth, we also know that is a, an actual legitimate known risk factor for postpartum depression for probably all of the reasons you just mentioned.
0: Okay. So, so that gets us to sort of, are you, are you, do you think that you're seeing more trauma, more, more postpartum depression? Um, And do you think, and if, well, first, I'll let let you answer that question because then I have a follow-up question. I
2: I think it would be presumptuous for me to assume that because I, I have worked with hundreds of women through my support group and I am doing that two hours every week, every week of the year. And I have a lot of personal experience with it. However, there are millions and millions of women in every known culture on earth. Um, it's particularly high rates in the U.S. Every known age of women who give birth, um, it's prevalent. So it's, it's much too grand for me as one individual who works with those women to know if it's really increasing. So I, I don't know. It's like a completely underserved market, particularly in the U.S.,
0: Yeah, I mean, in in the past, I think the diagnosis wasn't even considered. It's kind of like when I was a kid, and I I would have been diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, yeah.
2: When I was a kid,
0: I I, I was just told to get out of the house and go play and don't come back till it's dark. So we have a new sponsor, Bliss. Dr. Lindsay has been our friend for a really long time. She's been a birth colleague, and her company, BirthFit, is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs, for preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum.
1: Isn't that awesome? Like any phase of the journey, you can use their programs. They even have a B community where you can go to if you're trying to conceive or if you know you want to in the next one to three years, which is awesome. They have a lying in program, which is in the first you know, beginning of postpartum. Like what they say is even a day after you can start to get into this, it's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focus on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum period. They use breathing exercises, visualization, belly massages. So cool. And then they have an extended program called Postpartum Program. It's a 12-week program focused on building a base level of general physical fitness with simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. And all of the work that they do um, requires no or minimal equipment. Um, So you can do it right out of your home. Um, And then, of course, they have the prenatal program. They have a a basic 30-day program where no equipment is necessary. I guess you can kind of test out and see if you like their their vibe. And then they have a more extensive pro- program, the prenatal training program, which is a full-term strength and conditioning program. Um, I mean, wow.
0: Yeah. I, I've, no, I've known Lindsay for a really long time. She's like, she was a chiropractor in LA before Me. before they fled and moved to Texas. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we support them wholeheartedly because this kind of a program is great for our, our clients and most of our listeners. Yeah. Um, so you go to birthfit.com. That's B-I-R-T-H-F-I-T.com. Use the code Instincts1, all caps, instincts one with a number, not the not one, but the number, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program, or use code Instincts2 to get a discount on the basic postpartum program. All right. So we love BirthFit. Uh, it's OB and midwife approved.
1: That's right. And right. please support them. And congratulations on your pregnancy, Lindsay. Thanks for joining the team.
0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts neighborhood. Oh, yeah,
2: told. totally. I mean, I used to twirl my hair and look out the window in second grade, and the, the teacher called my mother and spoke with her about how maybe they should cut my hair shorter, so I would stop twirling my hair and looking out the window. I mean, you know, as a perfectly healthy child, what can I say?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we label things more, and we're quicker to to then put them in a category and give diagnoses to things that, that ultimately are just part of a normal spectrum, but clearly there are some cases where people uh, are are truly depressed. How how does it present? How, how are the symptoms, um, uh, presenting and how does the diagnosis made and is it, is it, it that sort of thing? I mean,
2: I have some, I've formed some theories and opinions that, um, are new and I'm happy to share them here. So I'm going to go on a limb and say, even though I'm trained in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, I totally reject that it's a disorder and I'll explain why. Um, Giving birth and having a baby is a big freaking deal. And when a woman goes home with a baby, assuming the best possible scenario, she's in a safe, loving relationship. She's financially stable. She had a non-traumatic birth. She has a healthy baby and breastfeeding is going well. Let's just take the best possible case scenario. Name one part of her life that hasn't completely turned on its head. She's living in a body she's never lived in. She's recovering from something that's that she's never experienced her, comp- her career is completely upended that's that alone is huge every relationship in her life has changed her relationship with all of her family members she's redefining boundaries with her in-laws and her her family completely different relationship with her partner um with every friend of hers whether they've had children before her or whether none of her friends have had babies it's changed all of those relationships uh her household her habits her lifestyle it, it everything has changed so it is a normal response and now I'm starting to answer your question what are the signs of it the way we really identify uh postpartum depression or anxiety or some of the others that we can get into rage OCD uh, anxiety is the biggest one but they're all under the umbrella of postpartum depression the way we identify it actually is listening to the woman's language so when a woman is saying things like, I just don't feel like myself. I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. That's all normal. That's normal, but that's also a sign. It's also a red flag. Now, when she's talking that way or feeling that way, regardless of whether she's tearful, because some women cry and some women suffer deeply and they don't cry. They don't manifest those emotions in tears. They might start experiencing rage, slamming things, swearing when they normally don't swear, feeling guilty about their rage later Um, when those patterns I was going to say symptoms, but I'm not sure I want to say that when those last more than two weeks, we start to say, okay, this is really something we have to not just chalk this off to the blues, which otherwise we would The interesting thing about any postpartum depression condition under that umbrella. Again, I don't want to use the word disorder because I I really do reject that. It's a disorder. I think it's a normal, healthy response to be waving flags and saying, help. (laughs) I mean, help please. You know, no, and I need I need more support here. I think that's normal, and we need to listen to those women. Um, you know, I, I think that, and 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 on that note, I just want to, I also just want to say, it's common in the United States because we are literally, other than other than Papua New Guinea, we are literally the only nation on Earth that provides absolutely, positively no postpartum support. To women. We are not only saying to her, you are not valued. We're saying your baby isn't valued. The luckiest among us are the ones I'll say like me, I had a corporate job with MasterCard and I had this fancy, um, you know, I w- I received benefits from the family medical leave act. I believe it was six weeks paid for a vaginal birth. And then my company generously threw another eight weeks at me. So I was this lucky woman. Who had 14 weeks with my baby. And every one of those was just, I ended up resigning, but just anguish of counting that it's not enough time, but there are women, they don't get anything. They literally start going broke from the minute they're home with a baby. And this is our society saying, we don't, not only do we not value you, we don't care if you drop off your infant at your neighbor's house, who will basically watch your baby all day long. And we don't, you know, just do something with your baby or starve. And that's how millions of women in this country are suffering as well. So our rates in this country are, are quite high. The one thing I wanted to say that I think I was saying earlier, and I don't want to forget is that I want to banish the myth that this is a function of hormones. We have to stop saying this is a matter of hormones and here's why here's the proof. And here's the evidence. This isn't my theory. This is part of my professional training from the global authority, postpartum support international, because it doesn't only affect women. It can affect fathers. 10% of dads get postpartum depression. So think about that. It can affect parents who adopt. And it can affect women anytime in the first 12 months, long after her hormones have leveled off. When it happens later in that first year, because that's not as common as when it happens two, three, four months, when it happens at eight, nine months, it's almost invariably because of a life change, a trigger that happened, some change in her job a divorce happening in her family. I had a client um whose dogs ha- whose dog had to have a leg amputated. I mean, it doesn't sound like the biggest thing. It's a huge thing. You're like you're you're home with a baby and suddenly you have to bring your dog in to get a leg removed. Those are the kinds of things where we have to look out for the woman. We have to be be really careful about what's going on for her because that's a life change for her. The list is endless.
0: Is this is would this be a lot different than just is it is is the pregnancy just another confounding factor because what you're describing could be a, just a person who's going through changes in their life like getting locked down or lo- getting fired or their pet dies or their they their partner leaves them or whatever so you don't even have to have a, you don't even have to throw the pregnancy and a baby in there is it sort of the I, same I, thing?
2: I think this is exactly the kind of common sense thinking we need. It's just that when we are pregnant and have a baby, anxiety is through the roof we're intensely bonded to this new baby that we never experienced before and everything has changed. So yes, I do think so, but normally when we have some other struggle in life, everything else is still stable. But when we give birth, everything has changed.
1: Well, and then you have to you have to consider if we if we're taking hormones out of the picture, you have to ha- also have to consider the fact that she is not sleeping very well. Um, she's probably not being intimate with her partner nearly as much as they used to. The relationship has definitely changed in some ways, if not in many, many ways. Um, divorce is at its highest when, within the first year after a baby is born. Um, she, like you were saying, she doesn't feel great in, in her body. She, she may have pain and discomfort and healing. She's breastfeeding. So her body is not herself anymore, her own, it is herself but it's not her own, she's sharing it. Um, So there's those things too, that we have to consider just like when anybody goes through a major um, physical change. So maybe they had surgery or are going, you know recovering from an illness or something like that. Those are times when someone could, uh, you know lean towards depression, especially without a support team. Without support around them, and that is what you were pointing to, Cynthia. That we're so severely lacking in our medical system, or how most people are delivering. You have a baby at the hospital, and if you have a vaginal delivery, you're home within one to two days, and you don't see anybody for six weeks. And um, that you know, not only are we not getting support during that time, but we're also not getting the clinical. Um, kind of uh, watching over them during that time. And that's when we have most maternal deaths, as well as when when we're home and we don't have a support team. And you know, I think we need to look at the other countries and how they're doing it that are way superior. And once again, midwifery care, not to say that we don't have women that become depressed or have anxiety, because we do. But more often than not, they have somebody who's coming to visit their home multiple times within that first six-week period. We're checking in to see what their family structures are. We're making sure that they have meals prepared. We, we give them referrals for mental health, lactation, body, um, body work. Uh, you know, these things are happening prenatally. I have these conversations with people while they're still pregnant to make sure that they're set up and that they're being realistic. I had a conversation just today with a dad who's a lovely person, but he's a little kind of in la la land about, you know, everything's going to be great. And I said, I just want to remind you that she's going, cause he's taking a new job and he's probably going to be working from home. And he's like a week will be okay. Right. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's, let's talk about this. I get that you may not have a choice. You may, you know, with a new job, you might have to be working from home after a week, but she's going to be in bed and not doing anything for a minimum of three weeks. And she's like, I really want six weeks. And I'm like, and she really is needing six weeks before she's doing anything around the house. So you really have to understand she's going to need help if it's not you. So these conversations are not happening In the traditional model. And so people have no idea they come home with a baby, they're struggling, they don't have lactation support, they don't have family members who are showing up. And, you know, this is something that can feel incredibly overwhelming to people. And I, I had a woman, a woman in my care last year who had trauma from her home from her hospital birth. She was depressed for a year. She never got help. She never asked for it. This is a cultural thing. She just suffered for an entire year. And this was a big part of the conversations that we had in her subsequent birth to make sure that she had all the support that she needed.
0: Can I, can I just add to that? Um, as a physician trained in medical school and residency, um, we were we were guilty of sending people home on day two and seeing them in six weeks and one we had no training whatsoever from the day they left the hospital we 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 had had no expertise yet we were we were still their doctor but we didn't have any contact with them we didn't have expertise and if they were to contact us with an issue we had no training in what to do so, you know, I, I think the trigger would be uh, we, we'd give them the name of a therapist. And that's I, the I, extent of what doctors know how to do because they have no training and the system doesn't accommodate the idea that there's this six week period of time where who's the expert? Who's who's the you know, who's the doctor? There isn't there isn't one. Because I have as much training as, as the guy that works at the 7-Eleven.
2: That's right. And that you just you just underscored, I think, really one of the key points. When you think about the fact that the, the group of people we all call the quote experts, the obstetricians, they get no training in postpartum uh, depression or anxiety. They get no training in pelvic floor health. They get no training in breastfeeding they get no training in nutrition, nutrition the, 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 right? I mean, so women turn to that one person. So every client I've ever had who shared that she, she, that she confided in her doctor, I think I might have postpartum depression. I've only heard of two responses that doctors have provided to all of those women. One was um, it's the baby blues. It'll pass. Okay. It's so normal.
0: yeah, it's normal.
2: Yep. And then And then the other one is here, take this prescription, which is a whole other conversation. Um, uh, Yeah, and episode, um, it'll be 235, I believe, um, the down to birth show, we're having Dr. McFillin on to talk about the problems with the medications. I'm not even gonna get into that because that's not my expertise, but that's highly problematic route. And those medications can actually increase depression significantly. Um, But you also mentioned something earlier, Bliss, that uh, it can start in pregnancy, which is interesting when we're all talking about the whole thing about coming home with a baby for 15 to 20% of women, the symptoms begin in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And there are risk factors we can talk about if you want. Yes. Um, I I think our
0: our listeners want to know the things that, you know, how to watch for it, how to prevent it. Yeah, Yeah. Whatever you can tell us.
2: I, I, I. I always have mixed emotions talking about risk factors because I think they're intellectually interesting and I think they can give us some good food for thought, but I don't want women to start tracking risk factors and convincing themselves because I'm going to tell you by the end of this discussion exactly what to do to get through this or to avoid or prevent this because there's research on that. And I think it's going to end up being a pretty helpful, empowering uh, message, certainly my intention. Uh, But let's just talk about risk factors because I do think it's important and interesting. I like to cluster the risk factors. So a few that I like to cluster together, cause I just want to see how does this strike both of you? We know that, um, older moms, and I'm going to continue, I'm going to cluster a few women who've done IVF and another category women who have tried conceiving for a long time. Each of those is a risk factor and I'm clustering them. Why do you think I'm clustering them? What do you think they have in common? Women who try to get pregnant for a long time, women who've done IVF, older moms, are the same people same
1: demographic
2: it can be the same demographic yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's it's this is what this is what's going on for that group of women they have had the time for their expectations to go through the roof mm-hmm. you can imagine a woman on ivf for months or years you can imagine her passing a woman in the store with a baby and that woman who's on ivf you can imagine her looking at that woman thinking your life is perfect. I don't get like, I would do anything. You have everything I want. All I want is that healthy baby in my arms. Then they get what they wanted and they never imagined. Yes. The exhaustion alone. I mean, we all, we all recognize it as being a like official Geneva convention torture tactic. <laughs> it's legitimate. It's, it's that alone. Right. But they, these women have had time to be mes- misled into believing that it would Fulfill them. Not that it doesn't fulfill you, but it comes with. We love our babies so much, and we are so bonded that that comes with anguish. This isn't love like when you fall in love with your partner and life is just wonderful and you're on a high. The love you have for your baby is 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 torturous. It's anguish. It's anxiety. It's like you're praying in the back of your mind all the time. That's not a happy. I've one thing I said to my own parents shortly after my my son was born. I said they. They haven't come up with the right word in English for this emotion. (laughs) I don't love this. Isn't this isn't love. This is beyond. This is something totally new. Mm -hmm. Love is inadequate to describe how we feel toward our children.
0: Elements, a tasty, electric-like drink they've been sponsoring us for a while with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt and and with no sugar, as you like to say, none of the...
1: BS, just like us.
0: It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. It's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, paleo diet, but not... For our pregnant patients, who shouldn't be on any of those, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's good for pregnant women. It's good for postpartum women. It's good for uh, birth workers. It's good for people who are outside working out. Summer's coming on. It's going to be hot and sweaty.
1: Yeah, and it's grapefruit season. I just got my box.
0: Yeah. Well, not only is it grapefruit season, but but they also comes in a bunch of other flavors: yep. watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, raw. Your favorite. Mango chili. Lemon and chocolate raspberry lemon habanero. Lemon habanero. What is a habanero anyway? It's
1: a It's a spicy chili.
0: Okay. Yeah. There you go. You
1: know, the other day I was at a very long birth and we went to get some electrolytes for the mom to see if we could help her with some of the things that she was dealing with. And we, every one of the birth workers that was there had some too. We're like, we all need it. Let's all have some element. Yeah. And
0: it it comes in a little packet so that you you don't have any waste.
1: Right. Like throwing
0: bottles away and stuff like that. You can just use it in your reusable container. We love that. That sort of thing. So we love that. So you go to drink element, that's drink L M N T dot com backslash birthing instincts and you get a free sample pack with any order great thanks element
2: thank you so that's one category shall we move on to the next category yes i think of this one in terms of ratios um i love the way
0: you think by the way you are you you are a, a really great clear thinker I don't know if you just, these things just come to you, but however it is, you express them so well. I remember our previous conversation when we talked about red flags and you guys, you had, you had this down and it's, I just love listening to you. So you just talk and listen. And I will just listen.
2: Thank you, Stu. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've worked with women for so long and it just, you know, we all, we all live our work and you just have a lot of hours to empathize and to make sense of things and to organize information. And like the whole red flags thing was one of the first things that came to me in my first few years of this work. And when I got into this postpartum um, area, the same same thoughts, just you can't help but to start to organize the information. So the next one I said is, I think of it in terms of ratios. So like I said, the best case scenario is you've got like this two to one ratio, you have yourself and your partner and you have one child. If that ratio is altered, those are risks. So a mother with multiples a mother with a partner and multiples that's a risk factor by multiple female twins yep twins or triplets yep sure oh, okay okay and um single moms that's a risk factor but there's a there is another um category that i find the most interesting uh, there 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 are many many more i won't list all of them but um one uh before i get to the the one i find the most interesting another one is women who have this is really This was a really big part of my training, actually. Um, Women who are repeatedly told they're going to be wonderful mothers. Women who believe they're going to be wonderful mothers. Because even wonderful mothers sit there feeling like they have no idea what they're doing. They feel like frauds. They feel like they're doing it wrong. And they believe that everyone set like, they have this expectation. I was supposed to be wonderful at this. I'm not enjoying this. I'm doing a terrible job. That I'm doing it wrong. This is what they falsely believe. So the wonderful mother, again, expectation set them up to feel worse about themselves later. They did find that to be a a theme for women. And finally, the last one that I find the most interesting is women who are at both or each, I should say individually, women who are at the low end of the socioeconomic scale, not surprising. Okay and women who are at the high end of the socioeconomic scale and perfectionists and high achieving women they are facing higher risks for postpartum anxiety or depression
1: yep i've witnessed that firsthand for sure
2: so why do you think that is what what how does it make sense to you
1: well i think what exactly what you said the perfectionism piece you know being able to juggle it all and then having something thrown into it that they're very out of control type A personalities want to be in control, want to be able to do everything perfectly. And when uh, when babies come in, they're in charge, you know, where it's all about surrender and being open to having a beginner's mind and knowing that we're growing together and not that you're going to, this baby's going to come out and you're automatically going to know everything to do. You guys are growing together. But I think what the common theme I'm hearing from you is expectations. And, you know, I think it it would be really interesting also to weave in about social media, because I think that that, you know, it's not just mothers, Stu, if you're talking about that, there's an increase in Cynthia, you said, I'm not sure, but we're, we know that there's an increase in depression and anxiety across the board. For sure so and a lot of that has to do with social media and um you know the images that we see and that we compare ourselves to this and that we're spending so much time and bombarded with conflicting information and you know how much we're supposed to do all of the products that we're supposed to have and the perfection that we're supposed to strive towards and it's unrealistic in, in every facet of our lives. But I could see with mothers, again, going back to all of these other factors that you and I brought in, you know, um, that that could just kind of kick you over the edge. And none of us are perfect. And we all struggle in postpartum. And we don't have enough people around us to say you're doing a good job and I know this is really hard and it's okay to cry. Let me hold your baby. How about you take a shower and I'll bring you a warm meal? You know, just like you would with somebody who is grieving, right? Like you don't have to say very much, you just have to show up and be there for them. And a lot of these women are, are navigating this on their own. And it's really hard to be able to bounce up against what's real and what's not real when you're sitting there by yourself.
0: Is is that where you were leading, Cynthia? Is about, about the common denominator between the low socioeconomic and the high socioeconomic? Is that they're sort of independently, not either by choice or, or 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 not, but they're on they're on their own. They may be emotionally uh on their own. They, you know, they may have a partner in the high socioeconomic class that is working all the time or traveling all the time, or they love traveling all the time, or they love uh um, you know whining and dining and stuff, and and all suddenly, that's all that's all changed, and everything that they identified themselves as, especially on their social media profile, is suddenly changed. But it's partly because the the support system isn't developed as much, maybe in in those two classes of people, as it might be in the middle class of people. I don't know. I'm just I'm listening to you two talk, and that's sort of what kind of popped into my head a little bit because. On the lower socioeconomic, I I I think more of the single mom, but maybe it's also um, married couples and stuff. But but on the higher end, I think of the of the, you know, the high powered you know woman executive or the or the, you know, the woman who's married to the the billionaire who's a cha- who does charity and travels and does all these things and and the, their life didn't really have room, and suddenly they've got a singleton or they've got twins or they've got something and they have their support system just isn't established.
2: Yes, that, that we're, that's exactly what we're going to come to. And I want to make a point leading to it that um, Bree set us, I mean, Bliss set us off on. It's funny. I don't know where that just came from. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's because, you know, I, I actually do know where it came from. I have a client in my current postpartum support group uh, from California, whose name is Brie. And while we were speaking, I actually was thinking about her. So her name came out of my mouth um, <laughs> as we were talking about this in my group. Um, so social media, yes, we all know that we're seeing everyone uh, with their filters and everything like that. There's another side to social media I want to point out. And, it, it, you know, we've all lived through an interesting time in history because and I, I'm very grateful for the the period of life that i've I've seen thus far because, Oh God, I'm so grateful. I I had my children right before the iPhone came out. Just thank God for that, because you know I know how harmful that is. But here's an example I want to give. But a couple years before I met my husband, I had a boy. I had a boyfriend for it was a pretty serious relationship for about a year and a half. Lovely guy, you know. I had my my job at uh, at GE at the time, but I spent my my whole weekend with my boyfriend all the time. Friday after work till. Sunday we were always together whatever we did we went grocery shopping together we did all, all our things together and i broke up with him and then there's that incredible void in your life when you get out of a relationship just a massive hole in your schedule and you know the weekends are like oh my god they just feel like 100 hours long like what am i going to do with myself and i remember my mom calling me one saturday right after i got out of that relationship she said so what are your plans today and there was no iphone and I had this phrase that used to make her laugh. And I said, I'm going to read in public today. <laughs> and What that meant was I'm going to grab my good book. I'm going to sit in a coffee shop all by myself for like three hours. And I'm just going to read. But it feels so good to be in, around people. Now, if I had been that single woman in her 20s um, home that day with an iPhone, I probably wouldn't have left my apartment. So it forces you to get out. It forces you to meet people. And that's the problem with these iPhones. If, if we feel the loneliness, we will get out of the house because loneliness is just, and th- that in fact is what this is all leading to. And Stu, you were going right there. The one common denominator, whether a woman has the weepy kind of depression, anxiety, which we really didn't talk about. And it's its huge. So maybe we can make a couple of points on anxiety, rage, all of it, OCD, the one common denominator Supporting all of it is isolation. So the way to prevent a perinatal mood, quote, disorder, or the way to get through it, and research shows this, is the absence of isolation. So for example, a professionally moderated support group, just four to six sessions, if women start one without having um, postpartum condition of any kind, they're much less likely to ever develop one. If they have one, research shows very clearly they get through it with less, a lesser intensity and a shorter duration than without it. And it's really the magic the women are doing with each other. You can have a La Lechele group. You can have a group of friends. You can have, some women have no family. Some have lots of family. Some women have family that lessens their stress. Some women have family that contributes to their stress. But isolation is really what we have to all focus on. And that's the first thing the partners have to focus on how do we remove isolation um i have a funny story that I, I i'll share that i had um i was running my groups in person before covid and now they're online which is great cuz we've women from all over but um back in my business space i had about 12 women in this group and we were seeing each other every week and one woman uh shared one day with the rest of us that her husband said to her wow i i can see how happy this group has made you and how, how it's changed you. But I'm getting a little, I'm honestly feeling a little jealous because I feel like women always have a place to go. And I don't feel that, I don't feel like I have a place to go. So when she shared that, I said, well, I have an idea because we were all local. Everyone was around Fairfield County, Connecticut. I said, let's, let's create an event for the guys. Um, So I said, all of you go check with your husbands, see who's interested in meeting Saturday morning at 10 at this coffee shop. And, um, 11 out of the 12 husbands said they were, I knew one of the guys, cause he was a client in my hypnobirthing class. And I said to that wife in the group, I said, can you check with Brian and see if he'll be the handshaker? If he'll show up a few minutes early, if he'll get the conversation going, can he be the coordinator? Cause I'm not going to show up. This is about the guys. It doesn't help if I'm sitting there. Um, so she, her husband, Brian said, great. All these guys showed up. And the following week, the women were kind of buzzing and bubbling and giggling a little about their husbands all going home and talking about how great it was. And they said, yeah, we met for a coffee the first time. We're going to all meet for a beer the next time. And I said, did anyone hear from their husbands what they all talked about? And one of the women said, well, they, they I think they just said they just talked about how hard it is having a baby. And then I said, I have a question for all of you. How many of your husbands took the baby to the coffee shop? <laughs> <laughs> Stu, Stu, you tell me how many did you tell me how many
0: Uh, none of them. And I would I would have been surprised (laughs) if they actually told the wives what they talk about, because when when women ask what guys what they're talking, thinking about, they go nothing.
2: No, no, they they they, (laughs) that one of them shared that. But here was the really interesting thing. It was implied. It was implicit. No, none of them discussed who would have the baby when the guys were leaving the house. Yeah. Now, if women are all going to go to a coffee shop and meet again, the couple will not discuss it. She'll take her baby with her. So it's it's not at all to delegitimize his experience, because I, in my opinion, the biggest change for the for the dad. Is his, his the bride he married has changed I mean, when they when they got married, she was obsessed with him. She was all about him. And overnight, she's all about someone else. And for some men, they get a little uncomfortable, like, what does this mean? And where do I fit into this? Of course, it's not. Of course, it all eases eases over time. But there are many reasons couples can have their struggles. But I do think it's interesting for both of them to recognize, like, how did we end up with a default parent here? and we do it's there's no there's really not a way around that i think we're biologically wired to be the default parent i don't think there's anything wrong with that i just think it's worth the acknowledgement that for her to even plan a haircut or even to go to the bathroom on a saturday if he's home in the house like she has to find him and hand the baby to someone it's just it's it's a wild experience
0: can i can i focus i'm going to focus something on something you said about the dads um when i was doing when I was coming out of residency and practicing the obstetrical model, um, you know, I, I'm very personable on, on just n- naturally, though I was brought up that way, but I could see that that my office was not geared toward the dads. And, it, you know, it, early in my career, it wasn't like it is now where, you know, a lot of times couples come together to the prenatal visit. It was really rare to see a dad at a prenatal visit, and they weren't encouraged to be at a prenatal visit and they sort of felt like a fish out of water when they were at a prenatal visit because no one really knew how to bring them in or include them. That's something that I've gotten, I think, very good at. I remember when I would bring, when somebody would call to make a consult when I was doing my 10 years of or 12 years of home birthing and they had hour long consults and and I would say, be sure, you know, you can bring you know, anybody you want is welcome. Oh, I can bring my husband. I can bring my kids. I said, absolutely bring them that the model that that bliss and her colleagues taught me was to be inclusive because i know that dads feel like a fish out of water they don't know what to do to um help their woman through this this period of time they're not that that skill is not something they they learned in high school um of phys ed class or something like that they didn't or health class and they don't and they really don't know what to do so I I I was
2: feel yeah marginalized even
0: you said ten percent depression I would I'm surprised it's that low, maybe -hmm. that's only only ones that speak up about it because I think that you're right um, um, the men go through all kinds of changes, and they really don't know who to talk to about it because it's hard for them to talk to the woman who's going through all you know immense changes and and again it's not their role our role is to protect and to earn money and to worry about safety, that sort of thing. But it's not to be that emotional. I mean, most men are not that are just that they don't verbalize like that.
2: Well, think about this. Where I live, everyone commutes into New York City for their job on the train. So imagine two women hitting it off on the train and how easy it is for them to exchange information. Now imagine two men hitting it off. Which of those guys is going to say, hey, (laughs) hey, can I have your number? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you want to have lunch? That's not going to happen. No, it's not going to so, happen. So it's not it's not just a function of not talking about their emotions either. It's like you you tell me what man is going to have the confidence to to get another guy's information and suggest they get together without fear of being perceived as gay or hitting on the, the other guy. Right. I mean, there, there's so much of that pressure that keeps them isolated. There's almost no community or for support for women. There's even less for their partners.
1: That's very true. And one of the things that um, I make sure to do during um, the prenatal care is to help the dad understand what to look for in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, especially things like psychosis that are really going to need some clinical support. And he's the one who's closest to her. And I develop a relationship with with both of them, as you were mentioning, Stu, that's so important in in the care to, to help them know that I'm both of their midwives. Just because she's going through something physical, I acknowledge very early on that he's going through a lot too. He has his own feelings, his own fears, his own concerns, and that at any point, if he needs support, he can also reach out to me. Very few dads do, but I think that them knowing that they are the trusted person within the house to be able to know if something is really off with her and to be able to communicate so that we can get additional support for the family is also a really important thing to weave into the care.
0: And obstetricians have no skill in this and <laughs> and relating to men, isn't a necessarily an easy thing. And now with 90% of obstetricians being women, it's even, it's even, I think, I don't, I don't see women obstetricians you know, being you know having that connection that somehow I have with the fathers. I'm, I mean, I, I just I just feel like you know I can connect with them right away. Uh, maybe I'm a, a sort of unique soul when it comes to that. I might t- I might take their number and <laughs> and try to set up a you know a coffee or a, a bro date, ball, a racquetball <laughs> game or something. <laughs> that's, you know, that's go, or, or go to a hockey game. Take I've mm. taken some of my dads to Kings games back in the day um
2: back in the day but i
0: but i think now with most most obstetricians being female and having six minute prenatal visits there just is no way that that's any of that those signs are going to be picked up cynthia
2: well, your heart, your heart has to be in it. I tell all the dads in my hypnobirthing classes too. I want each of you to put my, my number in your phones and each of you to reach out to me postpartum. And I, I make that comment about how there's even less support for dads. And I say, I'm I'm here for you to whatever extent I can be supportive. I'll hop on the phone with you. We'll talk, I'll, we'll do a zoom call. We'll hang out, whatever. Like you, you have to feel you have your mental list of who to reach out to. And if the first person disappoints you in any way, go to your next person. If I disappoint you, May you have that next person, but we have to teach the people we love to go down the list. And if the one person doesn't give you what you need, you have to know to go to the next person. Would you mind if we make a few comments about um, psychosis since you just did? Would that be okay?
1: Yeah. And then I'd love to hear your um, kind of solutions on what's next.
2: Yes. Um, Okay. Uh, So just briefly on anxiety, it's four times more common than the weepy sort of depression. Um, an extraordinary number of women develop a fear of stairs. They literally will not go downstairs. They will eat, They will sit holding their babies going downstairs. They'll still have intrusive thoughts of tumbling, throwing the baby. So there's a whole conversation we could have around postpartum anxiety. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll share an anecdote that I will, uh, it's not one I'm, I'm proud to share. It sounds ridiculous, but I, I want to share it. Um, I, yeah, I, go, I was- go,
0: go ahead, go ahead and share it. And also we'll give, you know, in the show notes and stuff, we'll be contact. People that want to get more information can maybe reach out to you too.
2: Sure.
1: We're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Need We love them. They have an amazing company. And you know what, you guys? Your prenatal nutrition isn't cutting it. So they redesigned the prenatal vitamin for you to be optimally nourished. They came out with a new product. I mean, I just feel like every time I turn around, they've got a new amazing product. And this one is an immune support. It's easy to take delicious elderberry powder to support optimal immune health for the whole family.
0: You know, I was hiking the other day and I saw an elderberry bush.
1: You recognized it? Of
0: course not. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: Brilliant really No,
0: But the midwife I was with recognized it right away.
1: Um, 70% of the immune system resides in the gut. So, comprehensive support is needed. Most immune support products aren't designed for all ages and stages. Their immune support is safe and effective for the whole family, kids, pregnant, and nursing moms included. So that is perfect for our followers. Yeah, so
0: go to their website at at thisisneeded.com and look through their products. I mean, not only do they have a prenatal vitamin, uh, which we recommend, but they have sleep and relaxation support, stress support, hydration support, collagen, a pre and probiotic, which I think is a good thing um, for a lot of us to be taking. Especially if you have immune issues or if you uh, had recently taken antibiotics or something like that they have a whole thing for men. So you can, men can look at that at their website as well. So again, we love their, we love their sponsor.
1: And what makes them different is optimal nutrient forms, dosages that help you thrive, easy to take at all stages of pregnancy. They were formulated with practitioners and they're recommended by over 3000 women health experts, just like us.
0: And I was going to say that.
1: <laughs> I stole your,
0: you stole it. No. Okay. So go to thisisneeded.com, just spell it out. And use the code birthing instincts to get 20% off your first order. This is needed.com. I think you get 20% off every order, but just, mm-hmm. just uh, use the code word birthing instincts at this is needed.com. Thanks, needed.
2: Thank you. But I, I wanna I'd wanna give one example of postpartum anxiety. I know I suffered from it, though nobody knew it. I mean I I never had a history of anxiety. I was guess a kind of a worrier. I've always kind of worried about the people I love. Even when I was a child, I worried about my brothers, I worried about my parents. But now I was home with my son. And I I had, I mean, years later when I learned about this stuff, I was like textbook for postpartum anxiety. And while I didn't develop a fear of stairs, I had many other qualities. So I'm going to give you one example that's pretty incredible. At the time when we had our son, we were still living in an apartment building, a high-rise apartment building, 16th floor of a brick building with uh, a little balcony. And I remember my son was a few months old and it was finally at the period where I could put him to bed close the door and go watch a movie with my husband in the living room, which was not even, I don't know, 20 feet away. And I remember closing the bedroom door and feeling a panic. I just remember feeling like I'm not going to bed with him. I'm not holding him. I'm leaving him alone. And what if someone gets into the bedroom, which is impossible in our apartment? We were, I mean, from the front door, you were in this big living room connected to the kitchen. And I froze in the hallway on the way to the living room. And I said to my husband, is there Any way someone could get into the bedroom and take the baby. And my husband said with like a hint of irony, Do you mean is there any way someone can scale the 16-story brick building that we live in and climb in through the bedroom window? With a completely straight face, I said, Yes. Is there any way? And he said, No. And I said, Then is there any way that the other people who live on this floor could go on their balcony and somehow leap to our balcony? I don't know, what was it, 50, 60 feet away? and traverse sideways across the building to the bedroom window. He said, no. So it's not rational. And I want women to know you're not going crazy. This is a function of your successful bonding to your baby. Your brain is going wild, looking for ways to protect your baby. Uh, And it's real suffering. Um, So I have many other examples I could give from women in my postpartum support group, but I, I just wanna say a word about psychosis since I know you wanna start wrapping up. And I think it's important. Women sometimes think that postpartum depression means they're having thoughts of harming themselves or their babies. So therefore we say, Oh, you're fine. You're good. Nothing to worry about here. Psychosis only affects about one to two women per thousand. I have worked with women with psychosis and it is, it is a terrifying condition in which they can hallucinate. Um, for example, one of the women I worked with had developed, and this is not uncommon. This is also textbook, a terror of scissors, knives, Nail clippers, and she saw herself over and over taking them and attacking her baby with them. She lived in it, it was a living hell. She actually did an episode with us on Down to Birth, but it was a living hell for her. And she felt deep shame and couldn't talk about it. She finally, after months, sat down with her home birth midwife and her husband about five months later, crying. She was always crying. They knew she was always crying. And she said, I sometimes have very scary thoughts about knives and the baby. And the well-meaning midwife and the well-meaning husband simply said, but you're not actually going to do anything, right? And that's a common line I'm hearing a lot, but you're not going to do anything. And there's a famous case in New York of a woman who did commit suicide in the middle of the night. And the last thing her husband said to her was, you're not going to do anything stupid, right? And she said, I'm not going to do anything stupid. And- I believe in that moment, she probably meant it, but the takeaway from this is not only how rare it is, but when we do have that, a woman who's, who's in that situation, she needs, she and the baby need 24 seven support as does the woman who's checked out. There are women who don't notice the baby is crying. That's very dangerous. And she may never be alone. She needs 24 seven support. And so does her baby because she's checked out and she doesn't mean to be, this is never something the woman causes. It's always temporary so we have to take all the resources that family has and support this family 24/7 in those cases and
0: if she's a yeah, single a mother of, then she's not then there's nobody around to see this right
2: that yeah that's why we need an educated society this is exactly why people simply need to be educated and i'm so grateful that you are open to the conversation here because so many of us work years in this field and who tell me who out there is here here to educate us it's it's incredible the at the absence of education in this field. And it's affecting millions and millions of women every year and their families, even their partners. How scary for them. You know, yeah. women forget to eat. So we have a lot of strategies to get through those things, but it does have to just start with really understanding what postpartum support looks like. Um, do Are you ready to talk about some of the, like the quick takeaway or do you want to make Liz, any final? Do you want to
0: add something there?
1: I just was going to say with postpartum psychosis, oftentimes you also need medication. So it's something that you should know that it is truly a chemical imbalance that with time can be helped. Um, And it's not a shameful thing to get the help that you need. Um, It's an important bridge to help you move to a healthier place where you can take care of your baby and not feel like you need 24 seven support.
2: Yes. So, what that I'm so happy you brought that up. So, the common denominator of isolation has been shown that no matter who is uh, postpartum, they are benefiting from support. Everyone benefits from a, a group of some kind, a group of friends, a strong, strong family, neighborhood support, a support group. But then it does. Can, can go on deeper. Some women, in addition to that, need private clinical care. Some women, in addition to that, may benefit from a, a separate health approach, medication, or some other lifestyle change. Absolutely. We were just talking broad strokes, common denominator before, but yes, I mean, we would do anything for those women because that's a crisis now. It's literally like an hour by hour crisis. So, but she has, she must not get medication and be good to go. That's what we can't have. Well, now she's on medication. She's home with the baby. She should feel better soon. That's not necessarily the case. And she can never be alone. And, and the baby can't, because if she checks out, she doesn't realize the baby needs help and it's nothing she's done. This is not her fault. Right. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's an acronym that, that we use. That's actually very nice. Um, nice, neat acronym. The word is embody. And to any extent that a woman practices any of the t- uh, terms in this acronym, uh, she will read in, in fact, anyone with anxiety or, or depression, not just postpartum, um, exercise. I know it's the last thing any postpartum woman wants to hear, but it, it belongs there. Exercise does reduce anxiety and depression M is meditate again, even if it's 60 seconds before you go horizontal in your bed at night, even if it's 60 seconds, when you sit up in bed in the morning, even if you're holding your baby in your arms and you close your eyes and simply the easiest way to meditate is listen to the current sounds you're listening to. If you get still and breathe and focus on your breath, or even the sounds coming from your baby, that is meditation. Meditation is coming straight into the present moment. B is breathe. So we all know that when we breathe, particularly if it's like an in for four and an out for eight or some kind of breath where the exhale is longer, we do know that it calms the nervous system. So breath is the next one. O is outdoors. I've worked with women who felt a physiologic change when they simply were able to leave their homes because many women don't postpartum. They get afraid to sometimes and simply walk down their driveway and get their mail. And within the minutes it takes to do that, They can feel a tiny change. So outdoors heals all of us. Uh, D is dump or journal. Again, it sounds like a lot, but uh, one regret I have, one thing I wish I did was simply write one sentence a day. Just one sentence a day. I, I don't care if it said the most exciting thing Alex and I did today was, or Vanessa and I did today was go to Trader Joe's and they handed him a balloon on the way out. Like that would be so precious to me rather than all of it becoming a blur, but that little nod to how my, my day was that little acknowledgement. Um, even if it's not positive, it's okay. You can adore your baby and not love the lifestyle of being home in a very monotonous lifestyle where you're not getting sleep. It has nothing to do with the love for your baby. So that's D, and the final one is Y, which is yoga. Again, if you do three minutes of one of these a day, this is beneficial to you
1: but not in the first 10 days.
2: No, nothing. No, none of that. We want support. We want food. We want massage. We want touch. We need to know if she wants to be touched more or less. We yeah. need to know if she wants, I mean, like weeks, month out when people visit, she may want to hand over the baby and cook people dinner, or she may want everyone to leave her the heck alone and let her go into a room and hold her baby. We have to constantly say to her, what is it you need? We can never presume. We can't right. walk in and take the baby from her. Right. And some women are looking to hand the baby because they need their arms free. We have to constantly check in. What is it you need? She might say, I need someone to clean this house.
1: Yeah. And she (laughs) may not know what she needs. Right. And then you can just do whatever you feel like you can do. Um, So I want to add two things to your beautiful list. One is gratitude. Gratitude. Because I think when we are in some of our darkest moments, um, I've been there myself. Something that has helped tremendously is to find a way to be grateful. Even if it's the little tiniest things like a bird chirping outside or feeling the sunshine on your toes or being able to listen to a beautiful piece of music. If you can find one thing that's beautiful in that day, it can change your mood. And the other thing is being flexible with breastfeeding when it comes to getting enough sleep, because if you find that mentally you're really struggling, know that the most primary thing for you to do to get yourself back on track is to get more sleep. So if you need to, you know, uh, pump and give a bottle to somebody or supplement formula, because you are going down a drain, your baby and your family need you to be well. And so, prioritizing sleep over that is going to really help you. And I've had people that that was a really hard thing for them to be able to admit. But once they got more sleep, I mean, that's always the first place I go. Like I'm going to come in, I'm going to make sure somebody has your baby. You're going to, we're going to lay down and we're going to get some rest. And a lot of times when you wake up, things can be different. Obviously if you're clinically depressed, it's different, but sleep is the absolute first thing to go to.
2: Yeah and you re- and you also touched on the I, I, I can't I can't agree with you more it's so true we are just we go we feel crazy without enough sleep it is so difficult but breastfeeding issues of course breastfeeding struggles is one of the top reasons for postpartum depression as well it's yeah. there's no suffering like a woman who's got breastfeeding struggles as for gratitude that is absolutely true and i want to give women permission to feel grateful without guilt because I see women struggle and say, I know I should be grateful. I've got this healthy baby, but I just feel this way. And I feel that way. And then they feel guilty that they're not more grateful. And that's something we have to, we have to help them to have permission to not feel guilty because of the things they're, they're also grateful for.
1: For sure. (laughs) And you don't have to be grateful for being a mom that day. You can just be grateful that you got to poop. I don't know. I mean, there's a million things you could be grateful for. I think that's the thing is just to find one little tiny thing. And it doesn't have to be that you're grateful for being a mom or you're grateful for your baby. It can be something completely different. And that's okay. Good point. I
0: love you. Thank
1: you so much, Cynthia. This has been a delightful, as I knew it would be a delightful conversation. I mean, you know,
2: thank you. It's always a pleasure. I'm going to finish with one thing that I like to say to all women and anyone who's listening. Uh, in their postpartum days, you are the most important person in your baby's life. And I go so far as to say, you're the most important person in that household. I want there to be more importance on that because when women embrace that, that they're the most important person, if we can go that far with that statement, then she just might realize that they need to direct more resources towards supporting her, whatever that looks like. This isn't a normal conversation about money and whether we can dine out or get paid the cable bill. This is your life. You're everything to this baby, you're everything to this family. This family would be devastated without you being well. So we must place priority on you being well. Yeah. And
0: placing placing priority is really important because a lot of people don't place priority on their health care or or their pregnancy care. We've talked about this ad nauseum about, you know, I have an insurance card, I have uh, you know, anthem HMO, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go there oh, they don't pay for a lactation consultant. Oh, they don't pay for a postpartum doula. Oh, they don't pay for this. So I'm not going to do that. We've got to get away from that sort of thinking. We've got to realize the value of all of these things that even though organizations and insurance companies don't realize these values, we cannot rely on them to dictate how we should care for ourselves. Absolutely. Okay, I guess we're all paused. So that must mean we're done. (laughs) Connecticut, Connecticut is very lucky to have
2: you. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're, we're all lucky to have um, the, the, the platform of podcasting. You know, it's, I'm sure it's enriched all of, our, all of our lives immensely, far more than I ever imagined. Is That's for sure. And very so grateful to have you both in our circle. It's, it's a pleasure to you. Ditto. Yeah.
1: Thanks for coming thank on again. Um, we love you and your podcast. And thank you thank for bringing you. this conversation to light.
2: You're very welcome. Thank you so much yeah.
1: for having me, guys. Give her a love to Trish. I will. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey. Hey, I'm late.
0: I know. I'll let you go.
1: Okay. I just wanted
0: to get that last thing in because, because a lot of these things you talked about, support groups and lactation uh, help and all that stuff, those things are not going to be part of the medical model where they say, I'll see you in six weeks. Right. So you've got to plan for that you've got to save for that somebody has to keep an eye on you you cannot isolate yourself i think that that was the key um point from this whole thing was that the common denominator is isolation yeah and we we that if we're going to stop this process we we can we can look at all the different causes of it and all the different uh, we can blame epidurals and we can blame uh you know our system or whatever else but ultimately You know, we're human beings. We need to be surrounded by people that we love.
1: We do. And I love you.
0: And I love you, too. And I hope you have a a great rest of the afternoon. And to everybody else listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and
1: good middle of the night. Bye-bye.